Welcome to the 2019-2020 Duke Season Preview, brought to you by the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am your host, Adam Comero. I have Joe Gaudio with me, and we're going to go over basically every single topic I thought of, all the possibilities. We're going to go over what makes this team different from recent Duke teams. We're going to go over the biggest questions we might have about uh, Duke this year, player-by-player uh, uh, player breakdowns, a schedule breakdown. And just to finish up with some various other topics, maybe some possible predictions. But uh, there's going to be four podcasts I do each year, four episodes where basically it may be it may go uh, a decent length, it may go longer. I don't really worry about it. The rest I try to keep to a certain sort of. Uh, I try to make sure it doesn't go too long, but this, I mean, I just want to get it all out there. So uh, we're going to go into some detail and. Uh, yeah, so honestly, Joe, I have not even spoken to you since uh, I – it was a quick text after Duke played Northwest Missouri State, and um, you told you had a very emotional reaction. Um, do you want to say what your reaction was after that game and uh, whether or not it's changed, and if so, why? I had a bit of an issue with – the performance in that game. I understand that was the defending national champion from from Division Two last year, and I just had a really hard time understanding how a team like that, whether it was the first game or not that Duke has played together, could actually stay with a Duke team that's projected to be a top four national seed and overall the number one seed in the ACC. So I struggled with it. They looked like they were uh, mixing around their trying to find their rotation a little bit. Obviously, the last game made me feel much better in terms of you know them them playing better and looking better together. They shot the ball well, which was nice to see. Um, but I don't know. I just I coached against a lot of guys who played that those guys in Division Two basketball, and just it, it, it made me nervous that a team like that was playing with with a team that's projected to be one of the better teams in the country. So let me ask you why, the, why the recent game make you feel better? They just looked better together. They played a little better together. They got better shots. It looked like the energy was a little better. They actually shot the ball well. And I mean, they scored, they looked like they had, were having, they just looked better chemistry wise than they did that first game. Again, the team they played the second game is also not a very good team. So, just at the end of the day, I just – they have to get better, but they have to get much better if they're going to be competitive Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all dependent on where the projections come from, who who they come from, why they are there, and what, what they are meant to kind of portray. So – and also just the, there's tons of context involved in each of the games. I mean, I'll go into that as – we go down because it's not as much as uh, an, ar an argument in terms of how important was that game. But I will say, just as a quick aside, that Northwest Missouri State, honestly, they could win a couple games in the ACC this year. They are better. I, I would say they could probably, um, if, if not beat, v compete with a school like Wake, with Virginia Tech. 
those, those types of schools. They had a great point guard in Hudgens. I think this will be the last year that their coach probably is going to be at that level. I didn't see them as a Division II team. I saw them as a good basketball team. I do not care what a school is ranked, where what level they play at. When I see a team play, I just see that team, and that's the same way. I'm not saying better or worse, but it makes me different than a lot of people when I watch Duke because it really doesn't matter to me where a player is ranked um, in terms of uh, RSCI or all the uh, different recruiting sites that go into RSCI. Um, if you kind of uh, pay more attention to one of those, like an ESPN or something, like I see the players, and then I start uh, – um, kind of evaluating, analyzing, and then projecting based on nothing having to do with what was expected because, honestly, I hadn't seen them. So when I saw Northwest Missouri State, it was a damn good team. And then, and then I think that's a good time to kind of discuss what makes this, two, this Duke team different because I think that contributed a lot to why that game was closer than, uh, than what I thought, when, what many expected coming in. So, uh, first of all, it's interesting. I did crack the code, uh, the, my soft narrative code for championships. For years, I thought it was the season when uh, transfers um, to Duke post Rashawn McLeod sat out. So, I thought, uh, like, Dante Jones in 2001, Seth Curry in 2010, Sean Obie in 2015. Obviously, Rodney Hood never existed in my magical soft narrative world in this case. But it turns out uh, the one thing which does, in fact, guarantee a championship was a Plumley taking and making one three-pointer their entire career and making it. Mason wasn't up for the challenge. He went two for ten in four years, but Miles and Marshall combined to shoot two for two from deep with Miles draining one in 2010 and Marshall Plumley in 2015. So uh, I'm pretty sure there's more Plumleys growing under a rock somewhere in Indiana, so hopefully another commits to Duke soon. But uh, that's my that's my fascinating uh, narrative. So maybe there's a plum that I don't know about who's on this Duke team and they'll win it. Anyway, um, so this is, as most people know, the 40th season for Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. And I was kind of hoping that it would be like last year where they had 40 games possible scheduled. So if it happened again, it could have been like 40 for 40, that type of thing. But since... Maui, the Maui Invitational they played at, that was a three-game tournament. This year, it's not. So in order to play 40 games, they would actually have to uh, be a lower seed, I think a five seed in the ACC tournament. So that way, they would play one more game, and then they would still have a chance. But I would kind of prefer if they're not a five seed, if they're a bit higher than that, so they can get the double buy. But uh, there is a – it's going to – I mean, either way, it's probably an unlikely 40 for 40 season. But still kind of amazing to consider he's now coaching his grandson, Michael Saverino, who's uh, he's been officially announced as a redshirt along with uh, Keenan Worthington, who with a name like that, I kind of like to imagine him as a uh, as a knight. Um, in the summer, I thought uh, – actually, I just said that about the uh, 40 for 40. But um, basically, it's just interesting to think about uh, Coach K and the immense respect everyone has for him, but just in terms of certain awards, once you get to a point in his career now, I mean, 1999 was the last time he won the NABC, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, Coach of the Year Award. He's a two-time winner, but 99, it's been a while. Um, and also 99 is the last time he won the Naismith Coach of the Year Award. He's a three-time winner. And 
I actually thought it was 2010. That was the last time he won ACC Coach of the Year, I believe. I did say that on the ACC preview pod. It was 2000. I mean, that's crazy. He's a five-time winner overall. But the last time he won the ACC Coach of the Year was 2000. The, the winner since the last time K won. A UVA has, had, has won five times. Four by Tony Bennett. Four. Two by Roy Williams, Leonard Hamilton, Jim Laranega, Gary Williams, and Seth Greenberg. Seth Greenberg actually won Coach of the Year twice since Coach K won. And then also Josh Pastner, Paul Hewitt, uh, Dave Lato, he's the other uh, UVA coach who won it, Herb Sendek, and Skip Prosser, the late, great Skip Prosser. That, I mean, that's just crazy to go over it. I, it really makes you kind of wonder, like, I guess they just change why the award is given different times. Sometimes it's the best team. Sometimes, I guess, like, unexpected. Like, Seth Greenberg, one of the years, is just ridiculous. But anyway, I mean, it just goes to show that uh, I think it's almost a sort of take-for-granted type of thing with Coach K, which I hope a lot of uh, Duke fans at least don't. They haven't gotten really to that point because, I mean, you never, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, especially – with things about to uh, kind of have a big change with in 2022 going back to non-one-and-dones anymore, or at least players will have the choice. It's, uh, it's, it's almost kind of going back to the way it used to be. So it's just interesting. And uh, in terms of this team being different, all right, so there's 24 ex-Duke players on current NBA rosters, of which 13 were drafted in the last three seasons. 18 in the last five, uh, 20 in the last six, 22 in the last seven, and 23 in the last eight. There have been uh, eight top three picks, 13 lotto picks, 18 first rounders, five for five first round non-lotto picks, three second rounders, and three undrafted free agents. So uh, you, you go down. I mean, in I mean, you have a ton of high picks in every single year. I mean. Well, let's start with recruiting from 2010 to the current. Only the 2013 team, and now they didn't have a top three recruited freshman recruit. And I'm counting Ingram in 2016 on RSCI since his ranking was skewed to number four by some guy named Van Coleman who had him ranked number 14. Everyone else had him top three. Uh, once Duke jumped on the multiple elite recruiting bandwagon in 2014, and basically elite recruits started to recruit each other and chanting the forever ironic brotherhood tagline, Duke has gotten at least two top 10 freshman recruits every year besides 2015 with just Brandon Ingram. And it's the same deal with the draft. In the last six drafts, there have been, there's been a top three selection from Duke. With Zion and RJ both going in the past draft, Duke's had at least two lotto selections and three first-round picks in the last three drafts and four out of the last five, with, again, 2016 being the outlier. So anything is possible. But I sure wouldn't count on much or any of that being applied to the next draft. Duke did not get a top three recruit. And at least based on expectations, I don't think they're going to have a uh, a top three draft pick and multiple lotto picks. I mean, you never know. But uh, I think uh, this season could extend another few years to whatever he might have thought. He, meaning Coach K, have thought it was time to retire. Or it could bring that time closer. In the same way for fans, it has the possibility it has the possibility to bring about like more thoughts about maybe what the program will be like in 2022. Maybe some will wish that time would come 
a lot sooner just to bring continuity to the program. I mean, I, there was a lot of uh, angry things said. Like it, after like 2014 when they lost in the first round, there was a there was a bit not a bit. There was a lot of backlash against the the one and done type of thing. Then of course everyone's mind changed and then the social media accounts for Duke blew up and it, it's just everything kind of became like almost performance art in a way. So uh, they still have had a lot of success and just in a different way. All right. So the good this year, the definite definitive good first is point guard continuity, which I will talk about when we get to Trey Jones, the stretch four. That is back. I will talk about when we get to Matthew Hurt and the point guard stretch for that's something where in the offseason, if you want to go back and listen, uh, Joe and I, we recorded a, a deep dive into positions there and the histories. So it, and I will say it, it's kind of ironic that Duke's first opponent is the team Matthew Hurt chose Duke over, meaning Kansas. And the third and final definitive, I would say it's tough to say it's not. Um, good aspect of this Duke team heading in is just a versatile defense. Uh, they can uh, the, the switching doesn't seem to be an issue. I think uh, Ver, Vernon Carey is the only one right now who we'll, we'll talk more about him. I think he might have somewhat of a I wouldn't say he's exactly Jaleel Okafor, but uh, there are some similarities in terms of how I think teams might try to get him switched onto ball handlers. Um, all right, so I think uh, things to watch. I mean, rotations, talent, leadership, fluid adaptation, those, those are some basic things. But the biggest questions here go coming in. All right, so is what Coach K says about the planned rotation usage legit? So is it going to be like hockey line subs almost in a way? Like the North, Northwest Missouri starters were Trey, Wendell Moore, Matthew Hurt, Jack White, and Jalen Carey, the Fort Valley State starters. Fort Valley State, that's that's a heck of a name. I, I guess they uh, their, their co-ed school is probably Sweet Valley High. Anyway, um, but uh, Fort Valley State starters were Trey, Goldwire, Stanley, Matthew Hurt, and uh, again, Jalen Carey. So I think basically we're looking at uh, Trey and uh, Trey Jones and Matthew Hurt. There is, I would say, as long as health, remains there's a 100% chance they are going to be the starters the whole year I'll say Vernon Carey 75% chance you never know but but the other two they're going to be up for grabs at least what I would think um, to kind of see what works throughout the year as starters but either way Kay has made it clear that he doesn't want anyone playing too long at one time he wants everyone getting rest so then when they come in they can really come in with a burst and go a hundred percent so that's what he says i mean i i have heard this before maybe not to this extent but he seems to be very confident that this is the way i would still expect that while he's not lying i think that it is going to be like that for at least a while, but as the season wears on, it is going to get to the point where little by little, I think the rotation is going to become what we ended up. But yeah, this was a, I don't even know if this was the same deep dive as the rotation stuff, but we did another thing on um, bench, the bench depth. And I get, I mean, not the rotations, I was saying that as uh, the uh, positions, 
Um, we did the rotation deep dive where we talked about the bench depth, and I believe I said it was somewhere around like 5 to 15 minutes past the sixth man on average. So we'll see if it goes longer than that. There have been some times where it goes a legit seven, but uh, it, it would go against case history if, if he does go deeper. But who knows? I mean, I am not saying it's impossible, and he does have uh, the type of team where there's not as much separation. He calls it an old-school team. I mean, I can see why he would say that, but at the same time, I keep hearing that type of thing. And when you look at the old Duke teams, yeah, you can see that kind of same type of, uh, I guess, the lack of separation, but there was a, a lot more experience in each, and especially, like, in, uh, with guys that had bigger roles. I don't know. I mean, it, it could be a type of uh, old-school team. All right, so the rotation, that, that's just questions about the rotation you should. Uh, number two, was there possible overreaction to Duke's poor perimeter and free-throw shooting in the blue-white scrimmage in Northwest Missouri State Exhibition, maybe caused by PTSD from last year's bottom-dwelling three-point percentage and high-attempt rate Duke team? So, uh, I mean, my, my thing, like, does Duke have anyone, and I'll get your answer to this, Joe, uh, does Duke have anyone who, when they release the ball from behind the arc, you are confident that that thing is going in? Is there anyone who, when they shoot, in your mind, is like, it's in? Maybe O'Connell. Maybe. I mean, he shot a high percentage last year. He seemed... Yeah, we'll go into that because uh, I keep reading about his percentage, and I don't think people really understand and I'm not – that's not anything again. Like, it came from a very specific – The corner. Like – Yeah. N- now. Um, yeah, we'll talk – I mean, like, yeah, we'll talk about O'Connell. But, um, I, I mean, basically, Matthew Hurt, I would hope that he can get there. I mean, it, it hasn't gone in. I mean, the form looks good. And it's not like a – I mean, the thing that always struck me with uh, Cam Reddish last season was he came in – and I actually read about his stats. His stats were not good shooting in high school. and But I kept saying, like, oh, his, I kept hearing, like, his form's good and everything like that. It was expected to be good. But he didn't have a high percentage in high school. Then he obviously didn't have one in college. He struggled in the NBA. I'm not saying he won't eventually capture the form where it looks so good. You'd think it's bound to go in at some point. But the results have to come from somewhere. And Matthew Hurt, the stats, he did shoot well. And I'm not saying he's like J.J. Uh, Hurt or anything, but I think I could imagine he's not going to be a knockdown, but I could see it coming more. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there is one on on this team. So it is it is interesting because there's always been at least someone who you would think. I mean, O'Connell, yes, you can hope. But in terms of the results, they are not proven. Um, so, but, uh, maybe with more consistent playing time, he can get it. But, uh, I mean, the way his exhibitions have gone, they're just exhibitions. It hasn't given a lot more faith than I would have. It hasn't given me less faith, but I mean, he's kind of playing like he always has. Um, all right. So number three, biggest question. This is something that happened versus Michigan state a ton. And it really got no, nobody talked about it. Like I know everyone loves to say, what blank subject is slept on this player is slept on nobody talks about this but this is something that actually is legit duke post entries 
they were really good in um, 2018 because they had to be, obviously, with Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter. I think that was something which was worked on a ton. Last year, there was like a little glimpse in the early season when Zion went into the post against Gonzaga, and I saw them like, ooh, there's a glimpse of something interesting. I mean, as I'll mention, like there's very small uh, – there's not many moves that uh, Coach K does on offense kind of uh, – to change up the execution way. He, he's pretty good on defense about changing things up, but it, it got me excited when I saw Zion inside against Gonzaga. Um, didn't really see it too much. I mean, obviously, opponents, they would kind of uh, pack it in, so it made it difficult, but there's ways to get guys the ball inside. There's ways to get them the ball. So it just it wasn't used by Duke. But uh, the post entries, in turn, like, it was just awful. Like, I remember Trey, th- uh, yeah, Trey throwing a couple of just – terrible post entries against Michigan State um, and I mean it led to I think they had a 25% turnover percentage a lot of it came from the post they just couldn't get it inside and whether it was bad passes bad angles it was bad everything and I was hoping this year I mean you hear about Vernon Carey you would think it's going to be uh, a lot better and then in both uh, in the blue white scrimmage and um, uh, the Northwest Missouri State game Vernon Carey, for someone who Coach K said has not played in the post till literally in his life until July of this year, is in his whole life until July, he's actually doing a pretty good job getting positions, sealing off. I've been impressed. And a lot of times guys aren't even like attempting to, to throw him the ball. They'll look at him and kind of like freeze up or just throw a bad entry pass or throw a bad from a bad angle. I, the two guys who I would say are the biggest, uh, they have the most trouble are uh, Trey and Wendell Moore. I think those guys really need to work on their post entries. I think the most interesting thing is, uh, I would say the best right now at post entries is Javin, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's not something that I guess surprises me for Javin's skill set. It's just I would think that other guys would be better than him, like Trey and Wendell, just because they would be more used to it. But I don't know what they work on in high school, so who knows. But, uh, yeah, that's been a big issue. Cassius Stanley's done a pretty good job. But uh, well, I would say uh, Wendell Moore and Trey Jones, they really need to work on those post entries. Everyone needs to work on the post entries. Um, I mean, uh, same thing with Matthew Hurt. They weren't giving him the ball inside, so... Yeah, that's something to keep track of that I don't think gets talked about enough is feeding the post, how you feed the post, the angles, everything. All right, so this um, this is something that is not based exactly on strategy or exactly something where uh, X's and O's. This is something, though, that I consider just as even or maybe even possibly more important than some of the basic basketball skills. And that's, uh, and that's leadership. It's kind of a combination of uh, three things, leadership, communication, and energy. I think that's going to be big. Leadership, whether it's vocal, instructive, or lead by example, it's all important. And I've always thought that leadership is comes best when it's from someone in the backcourt with experience who has the ball in their hands a lot. That's why, like, 2018, there wasn't much experience anywhere 
except for Grayson, but that was the perfect place to have experience. Same thing with 2015 with Quinn Cook, perfect place to have experience. And it, I mean, now it's like, I mean, yeah, Trey has a year under his belt, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. So it, it's tough for like a guy like Javin or Jack White to, to really be leaders or even like Jordan Goldwire, if he doesn't have the ball in his hands much, um, or at least much in terms of really being the, being the guy who's initiating the plays. So that'll be interesting to see where or if that, uh, the leadership comes from. I mean, Javin is kind of a really good, um, he has a lot of energy. Alex O'Connell. Well, I would say Alex O'Connell is probably the energy guy. Javin's the, the vocal guy. And I think Jack White, he kind of, he's the stabilizer. Would, would, would you kind of agree with at least uh, how, I view, how I view them? Do you think there's anyone who can uh, take on that vocal role or, or instructive or lead by example? Because Trey Jones, I think he might, he might be working towards it, but I'm not sure if it's something you can develop throughout the year that comes kind of during the off season or it's obviously somewhat natural. And uh, I'm not sure if he's exactly that guy, but who knows? I mean, you can't hear everything that's going on on the court. So do you, where, where, if anyone, who do you think can possibly fill those uh, three roles of like vocal, instructive, or and lead by example, or any other type of leadership you can think of? I think the only other one that really comes to my mind besides Javin would maybe be Jack White, just in terms of his energy level. His, you know, they seem to rally around him and have he has a pretty good voice. He has a pretty good understanding of the game overall itself on both ends of the floor. So. I could see Jack White stepping into that position. I don't, I just, so far, I don't see any of those freshmen being able to kind of step up and be like last year with Zion and guys like that. They just don't have that type of mindset. So I think my, my personal understanding would be, I think it would be either between Javin or Jack White. Yeah. I mean, in terms of guys where it comes natural or guys where they've learned it over time, or just guys who are the alphas. I mean, that's the thing with like last year where RJ Barrett was the lead by example guy, but I mean, he gives off almost an aura um, to him where he's like a born, I mean, he was basically an NBA player probably like as soon as he uh, popped out of the womb, popped out of his mommy's womb. Um, so he, there's no doubt with RJ that he's in control. But And then Zion's just the energy guy who would get others just really amped. And you could see the difference in Duke's energy, especially the reverse um, in the second half as it faded when Zion was out um, injured. So there was no, like, kind of pick-me-up. I mean, that's what made Duke – that's what got me excited about them with all of their uh, – all, all of the issues that concerned me about Duke last year. They were a team that was a second-half team. They were a closing team. And what made them a closing team? One guy, Zion Williamson. There was, there's really, that's what made the difference. And uh, yeah, so in terms of uh, leadership, we'll see. But uh, communication, whether whether it's leadership or, or not, communication has to be prioritized. Obviously, anyone who has played, coached, I mean, watched basketball, you don't have to actually, you know how big communication is, especially on defense. For example, Northwest Missouri State, I mean, when they were going on their run at the end of the game, because, I mean, Duke had that game wrapped up, and they're playing a team that's undersized, 
spread spread offense. What what do you think they're gonna do? Do you think they're gonna like dump it in the post or take you off the? No, they're going to shoot threes, and the, like it's kind of like prevent defense in football, where like just don't give up the big play. Like with Duke, run them off the three point line. I mean, there were some screens, but there wasn't a lot of creative things going on with Northwest Missouri State guys that guys on Duke just weren't playing up far enough, so. They would just shoot threes, like, right in front of a Duke defender. That's where that communication, like, it seems simple enough, but when you're in the moment, especially with everything we've heard, um, or if it, whoever hasn't read or heard about it, I mean, I uh, Coach K even said, I, like, peep, guys were nervous. The freshmen were nervous. And, well, I'm sure that happens every season. I think it was more kind of made public. This year with Coach K talking about it, even the freshman talking about it, Vernon Carey, he talked about it. I mean, within like two minutes, he set two illegal screens just because he was nervous. Wendell Moore said he was nervous. And, hey, it's understandable. I mean, it kind of worries you about uh, if you're nervous at uh, for uh, for a, a, a scrimmage at Cameron, Madison Square Garden, the Mecca, that's that's a, that's a whole other level. Um, so that's, uh, that's something that will be interesting to see how that turns out because i mean the the wild thing last year was just how ready duke was to just lay it on kentucky i mean kentucky was nervous and duke just came out and rolled him not because duke was a ton better than kentucky just because they were it's like they were born ready to play that then as other teams improved throughout the year they could kind of match up with duke more but duke was ready from the get-go and then everyone overreacted and said Duke could beat some NBA teams, and that was ridiculous. All right, um, so, and then another thing, uh, the fact, like, the fact that Northwest Missouri State, if, okay, you, you, you're, you're a coach, you coach basketball, Joe, Northwest, Northwest Missouri State, they go seven deep. They lose one of their starters four minutes in. Like, there's nobody else who plays for them. What are you telling your team? <laughs> It's tough. I mean, next man up, really. I mean, you have to. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. What are you telling the Duke team? Well, you're going against the like. There's only a six man rotation run, run. for Northwest Missouri State. Run, 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 and get to the basket and try right, to attack. Right, attack. Absolutely. Any any way you can get into the paint, just run and run and run. Because especially six man, seven's not very deep. <laughs> so six itself is just it's almost unheard of. So yeah, and, and for a team like that, that's already kind of overmatched, like. I mean, you just you get you gotta attack. I, there just wasn't much attacking, and that's where like the nerves and just I mean that's where communication needs to kick in. At the I think like a uh, Northwest Missouri State player fouled out with a couple minutes left, but there really wasn't much worry about foul trouble for them. And you're going six guys for almost the entire game. Like that's the first thing I think of is I mean especially Duke was so much bigger. Like I don't care what type of defense. Like I attack them. They weren't even playing zone or anything. Just so, I mean, again, communication. It's not a matter of does Duke have guys who can just uh, take and take someone off the dribble and just attack. Like, find a way. Like, six guys for the other team, they are they're, – they're talented, but they're inferior to your talent, and they're, pro- and they're all smaller than you. So, yeah, fi- find a way. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would say the other thing – for communication, I think – I mean, Duke always switches everything, one through four, sometimes one through five. I think I saw them a little too willing to uh, switch. I'd like to see them really fight through screens a little more and 
Because, I mean, it's just, it, it, it was too easy for Northwest Missouri State to get, get switches, and it's just, that's where I do think communication, kind of anticipating, where um, we're yelling out the screens, it takes time. I mean, this, it's it's not easy. I'm, I'm saying this like, oh, it's just do it. I mean, it's it's obviously harder. There's a reason why freshmen, there's it's very rare that freshmen are even average to slightly above average on defense. It's you you can on offense you can you can just kind of give a guy the ball and just say go get a bucket defense. Now nah, you got to work as a team. So yeah. Um, all right. So that's in commu- um, communication. The last thing in terms of those three factors of leadership, communication, and energy. Energy, that might actually be the most concerning aspect because Duke is going to, I mean, sort of similar to last year where I would expect Duke to try to run as much as possible to avoid being uh, constantly bogged down in half court. I think they'll be better in half court than last year's team. They will not be nearly as good in transition as last year's team, but they'll still be very good in transition. I think they still want to get out and run. Um if they're not able to do that, then uh, I think the energy could be an issue because, I mean, actually, um, Chris Patola, he, he made a comment um, during the broadcast. And by the way, I can't be the only one who noticed. He sounds exactly like Adam Schefter. I, I don't know how I didn't notice that the past two years when he called uh, preseason games, but he sounds 100% like Adam Schefter anyway. Um, yeah, so uh, – if they're not running back and forth, if they're not creating havoc, if they're not making threes, which will kind of automatically inject some energy into you, where's the energy going to come from? I think that's where a guy like O'Connell, he is like, he's always, he, he was, that no matter how he's performing, he will come in and inject energy. Same thing with Javin Delorier. Those two guys, absolutely. But in terms of vocally, in terms of just pumping guys up, I would love to see someone, I would love to see someone kind of, I don't know, just a more emotion, more cra- more crazy in, in a way. You, I mean, especially like early on with the uh, games at home, I'd like to see them try to use the crowd more. I mean, you got the crazies, use them. Um, and hopefully that can uh, get some guys going and they'll, they'll get more used to just naturally feeling it and living everyone up during it. So, I mean, I don't know if this is kind of the same thing I asked about leadership. I mean, who, like, O'Connell, I guess, would you agree, him and Javin are the guys? Is there is there a freshman player you think is like that? It almost seems like they're all calmed. And I don't know, do you think that it maybe it could be just nerves right now? Do you think they'll loosen up once they get a couple games under their belt and we'll see more personality from any of them? I don't know. I, I, the one guy I thought just watching his tape, even before the um, exhibitions, where I thought that Stanley could maybe be that energy type of, you know, really good athlete, really quick, you know, runs the floor well, plays hard. But I don't know. I haven't seen that yet either. I think a lot of it has to do with maybe this is just, again, my opinion as as a coach and have played sports and stuff like maybe the uncertainty of their role also. Some guys don't maybe know what their role is going to be in terms of if they're starting, if they're coming off the bench, if they're so finding that role and then harnessing that role. The issue that I have is a lot of these guys that they're getting are guys who have started their whole career like playing. So some of them don't take on a backseat role 
as well as others may. I mean, obviously last year Zion came, RJ came, those guys were starting. It didn't matter who else was on the team. So these guys, it's different. They're trying to find their rotation a little bit. And I think each each player will figure out their role and, and, and be better with their role. But right now, I think there's unfortunately some uncertainty in there. I would agree if the role changes based on the lineup structure of what's going on. Right. In terms of the unknown of starting or not, personally, I don't think that matters. As long as they have confidence from the coaches and their teammates to just play your game no matter what. But if, let's say, Stanley is playing with uh, O'Connell and he's kind of letting O'Connell dictate more. Whereas if Stanley plays with uh, Jack White, then Stanley's going to be there. So if you're changing everything, I mean, obviously there's more than two guys on the court at once, but it's just, I I think, do you get my point basically of with different lineups, you do different things. And as you get more just experienced, you get used to it. And then it's not even a big deal. But at first, if your role with different lineup structures changing with how much K is, trying to sub in and out. I mean, I've, he, he did a Roy thing, Roy Williams of like five in five out a couple times in that Northwest Missouri state game. And, uh, I mean, again, exhibition, who knows what'll happen, but it's interesting if nothing else at this point. But unfortunately the only thing I, you cannot make a player someone that they're not in terms of whether it's leadership or some, like you can try to make them like there's just people who just aren't vocal people on the court or just aren't that type of player. They kind of feed off others. So if you have a bunch of guys that are like that, that's where the issue comes in. You know, I feel like we yeah. have a bunch of quieter guys this year where last year we had much, we had more personalities last year, I guess. Was, <laughs> Honestly, I think it was just Zion. <laughs> well, well, it could um, be, it could be. Yeah. Well, and then, RJ as was I said, like, like that too. RJ was, well, RJ had that aura around sure. him. where like, he's that dude. Like he doesn't like he doesn't like he comes on the court and everyone's just like, you're, you're the man. Um, and rightfully yeah, so. so. I mean, he was. Yeah, so, he was. so that's what I was saying. Kind of like a uh, like in 2018, Grayson, he, he's not a vocal guy, but he kind of led with led by example. And he'd been through it. He'd been I mean, he'd been through a bunch. Um, so everyone could kind of follow him. And then you have Bagley, who's the alpha. Bagley's not a very vocal guy, but man, you get you know. He's that dude. So uh, I think that's where you get you get the best of both worlds. Now there's neither. Right. So it's 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 going to be interesting to see how or if that develops. And the th- I would say I'm not comparing skill sets. The team, the most recent team that that could possibly remind you of, and I guess this wouldn't. I mean, Again, totally different skill sets, but 2016, because I'm that was the year Grayson. I mean, he was right. He was kind of they gave him the alpha role, and he could kind of play like that. But he he hadn't even played like major minutes in any game his freshman year until Wisconsin, and by major minutes I mean in a close game. So he had played literally one game where the minutes he played actually were like legit in a competitive game, and now all of a sudden he's leading the team. And then Brandon Ingram, it took him time. I mean, by the end of the season, he was dominant, but he's never he was never a vocal guy during his season at Duke. So I think in terms of the personalities, if I remember correctly, I remember Kay that season saying, Kay, like he, meaning Coach Kay, needed to do more as a leader himself because the players, there just wasn't that type. And he said exactly what you just said. You can't force 
someone to be a leader. You can't change someone's personality. So Kay had to take a bigger role in the leadership then. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was one of the worst defensive teams at Duke. This team is very different. 2016 was a great offensive team, but I think so the defense was kind of they were falling apart. I mean, also when Emil Jefferson went out, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess that is the closest I can think of in terms of just leadership, communication, and energy in terms of how that works. But um, yeah, so some other questions. The other questions: How will Trey be used on offense? Did with the point guard deep dive? I talked a lot about how. Um, point guards have been used in K's system. I will go more into that with Trey. Then uh, another question is Jordan Goldwire. Is he the new slightly improved uh, on defense version of Tyler Thornton? Which would immediately be a sign that K will trust him more than life itself. No matter what. No matter what. Anyway, I hope question. so because that's the we're playing Kansas soon. Remember the shot he hit against Kansas the last time. Maybe Goldwire will be the difference in the game Tuesday for us. That's a valid point. Right, we haven't beaten him in a while, but it's okay. Was that? Yeah, because uh, wait, there was that, and then um, Frank didn't Frank Mason hit a game winner? Yeah, when they had Wiggins, that Wiggins team, they beat us with that. No, 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 no. That was 2017, I believe, in the Champions. Oh yeah, Classic. yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, Wiggins was against Jabari. Yeah, he hit one at the top of the key to beat us in one of those other. I think that was when we had, was it Tatum and them, or was it the Ingram? I'm, I forget which year it was. They had it be four years ago, I, right? I, I think they did. I think that was the Tatum year, but I think yeah. Tatum wasn't. In he was Yeah, his first game was against Florida at the Garden. I remember. I, I, I think. Um, I think. I think my boy Frankie Buckets uh, had a pretty big game there. Um, so. He, but yeah, I think I think uh, Frank Mason hit a game winner. But uh, and then um, I will have a podcast which has already been recorded uh, with uh, my favorite. Uh, I, will, I will say, if not the best, one of the best uh, beat reporters for any college basketball team, C.J. Moore. I recorded with him to go over the Kansas, uh, the team, the roster. I mean, it's first game. You can only talk about so much. Um, but uh, yeah, we gave it. We got a good Jayhawks breakdown there in terms of their squad, and uh, of course, because I'm me, I, I ranted about the 2018 Elite Eight because it's still there's there's no Duke game that'll ever make me as angry as that. None, guaranteed ever. How does that ball right. not go in? Just no, that's explain. not what makes me angry. I'm saying, that's but that's what, what makes me angry is how that ball physically does not just go in. I mean, I guess yeah, I, mean, I guess you could say last year how that ball didn't go in for the other teams in a couple of the games we played against in the tournament. So, yeah, I mean, one play stuff happens. The charge. My 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 anger is based on strategy, which Kay will never be asked about. It'll never be talked about. And yeah, I mean, if you would, uh, <laughs> I, I talk I talk about it with uh, CJ. Um, all right. So uh, next. Um, can Matthew Hurt handle physicality inside? That's something that'll be interesting to see because did a great job. You, the Duke used him a lot from the elbows, starting out with a bunch of horn sets sometimes. I think that it was just a optimal matchup for him in terms of what he was able to do there because of how he was bigger than the front line of Northwest Missouri State and also – he was stronger, and Matthew Hurt is not going to be stronger than many. I mean, he's going up against. I mean, Kansas's front line—they are monsters. I mean, there's there's Azabuki, there's Desusa, 
and um, oh my god, I forgot the name of the other guy, but I mean, he, he he's a big boy too. And I think D'Souza right now is the sixth man, and they're going with two bigs, and I mean, they are just beasts inside. So uh, yeah, Hurt won't have any sort of uh, strength advantage there, but that's where hopefully he can kind of uh, work those nightmare matchups that he wants to use against other teams and maybe hit from outside. We'll see. But it's it's going to be interesting. And, I mean, Northwest Missouri State was, good. It was a good game in terms of just, I guess, competition. But it in no way prepared Duke for most of the matchups they'll face this year and not even close to what they'll see versus Kansas. Um, Vernon Carey, was defense be able to keep him on the court? As I said, there's there's uh, some Jaleel Okafor tendencies. Um, I think uh, as he gets more experience and the nerves start to calm down a little bit, hopefully it'll be better. On offense, I think you just have to use him more to get him more involved, to get him more confidence, to get him to relax more. When he gets on the post, give it to him. I don't I don't care about like if he's missed the previous shot, if he's turned it over or anything. Give him the ball, get him involved, get him some confidence. I think it's just something where feed the big, make the big happy, and uh, they're more often than not, I, mean, I guess this could be a cliche, they will, there's a tendency to play harder on the other end, the defensive end, if they know they're going to be involved on the offensive end. Um, so, I mean, and he's just, he's got to say, I mean, when I say he's got to set better screens, I mean, that's a stupid thing to say. I think he knows that. Of course he knows that. Um, just, I mean, he said it was nerves. So I think he there were some uh, decisions I like by him passing out of the post. I think that could be an underrated aspect. I think he can shoot, but I don't think he's that's going to be a strength. Like uh, maybe some thought when they saw him make a three in uh, the uh, blue-white scrimmage. But I think his defense will be something to keep an eye on because if he can't stay on there, if teams are going to be attacking him or if he's in foul, or if he gets in foul trouble, then, then um, yeah, I mean, he's really the biggest guy. Javin, he's improved so drastically. If you think about Javin against Kansas the last time they played Kansas in two, that Javin was like a mess out there. And it was zones, which made it even worse. But he, I mean, the the responsibilities, he just had no idea what to, what to do. And Bolden should have gotten that time before. But he, Javin, is so much better at this point, so much more mature. I wouldn't mind him at center occasionally. I don't think he should be there all the time. But I would never have a problem with Javin on the court. But I, I, I want, I mean, Vernon Carey is a beast. I want him to get playing time. So keep him involved and... He's got to be smart about the don't commit silly fouls. Um, uh, Jack White, will, be, will he be enough of a shooting threat to allow him to stay on the court and contribute all the other terrific aspects to his game? Because, I mean, everything else he does really well. I mean, he led the team in assists in the blue-white scrimmage. He led the team in rebounds with the um, Northwest Missouri State. As as you said, he, he's a good leader out there. I say he's, he's more... Yes, he's a leader. He's almost like a stabilizer. He's he's that calming factor. I mean, he's the guy who dunked on Marvin Bagley in a game a couple of years ago, so he always has that going for him. And um, he's just someone – talk about someone who's, I mean, missing 28 threes in a row, stepping on the line, almost, Wake Forest almost winning last year's game. I mean, he had, he had some rough moments last year, so 
I mean, he's come back mentally tough, dude. And I think just in terms of uh, kind of wearing his scars, he's been through it all. So I think everyone can kind of see him wear that. And I think that almost helps in a way as a leader to uh, you uh, fall to those lows and you can appreciate the highs more. Um, can Wendell Moore develop his offensive game enough during the seasons to not be a negative on that end? He has shown a ton on the defensive end. Offense is another story, which I'll talk about. As Cassius Stanley, he's been a super high-efficient player so far because he's smart about picking his spots. Is it, Or is that why? Or is he flashing hints at something greater with more usage and development? So I think Cassius Stanley is really interesting because he is someone, if anyone's been above and beyond what I, I won't say expected because I really didn't have any. I mean, I think I like... I gave like a thousand qualifiers when the first time I mentioned him. Like I wouldn't even be surprised if he like redshirted. I'd seen like five minutes of him when he, when it just looked like he wasn't really involved in anything. I mean, he has been really impressive. So I'd say those are the main questions in terms of just going into this season. Um. So in in terms of, do you have any other main ones? I mean, we'll go down player by player um a little more. But is there anything else you think just as this team from a general standpoint, even a, a little bit of a more specific standpoint, is there anything with a player or as a team you're interested to see? I'm just interested to see how how this rotation and stuff takes hold. I mean, now that we're a little deeper, maybe we have the ability to maybe press a little more. Maybe we have a little bit of the ability to – I don't know. I mean, I just know that this team has the ability to shoot the basketball when hopefully, I mean, much better than last year, obviously, which is not saying much, but I think that's a huge part of our game in the past. I just think it's a matter of establishing somebody who can also, you know, make a difference in the paint. And I think, unfortunately, based on the three guys we have that are going to play down there, just think, I think containing inside the paint and stuff is going to be really hard for this team to do. And it, and it, and it, oh yeah. And it just worries me because there's a lot of teams out there. Well, not a lot, but in terms of, I mean, the first team we're playing is loaded in the paint. So it's going to be a difference of trying to neutralize them somewhere else. And if they're not hitting shots from the perimeter, I don't know, it could be similar to, you know, a couple of the other defensive struggling teams we've had in the past. So, Yeah, that's something I had written down for later, but it's a, I mean, that's a great point you brought up about will they press. I mean, I think if you were going to use guys more in short spurts, and, and not worry about them wearing down, hell yeah, you should press. I mean, with I the agree. versatility of this defense, but that's, I mean, Kate talks about a bigger rotation every year, which never comes true. Again, not to this level that he's doing, or not to this extent that he's doing this this preseason, but he also talks about and shows some press in uh, early games. It never really amounts to anything. I mean, there's always that kind of slight to... Um, Two two one type of thing, which like they just break out occasionally. But unless they are just their backs are against the wall, like a Louisville type of thing, with I mean, you don't see it in a uh, in in a normal type of game. So I would love to see it more. I mean, you really don't see that much with anything. I mean, back when um, Shaka Smart was at VCU, I'm not. I mean, I don't even know if he does that at Texas. I don't think he actually uses that havoc anymore, but um, maybe Duke will see it. At Texas, they might play him in a 
in Madison Square Garden later on in about a month. But, yeah, I mean, you really don't see that at all from anyone. I'm not really quite sure why that is. I'm sure maybe someone like Jordan Sperber would be able to have a good breakdown on that. But it is interesting how there really isn't many teams that even use it much at all. So, yeah, it's interesting. Before we go into a couple more predictions, let's just first go over the schedule. All right, Duke's non-conference. Um, Matt Norlander did a thing where he ranked uh, all the uh, power conference teams. Well, let's see who he did. He did, um, he did uh, 92 schools, 87 from the major seven conferences, plus Gonzaga, Davidson, VCU, Utah State, and St. Mary's. He gave uh, – Points for top 25 games, top 50 games, uh, NCAA tournament teams, road games, neutral games. And then he took points away for sub 200. I don't have it exactly written down for how many points he added or took away for certain things. But um, bottom line, Duke has two top 25 games. I think that's pretty obvious uh, what those are. That's Kansas and Michigan State. Three top 50 games, that's when, uh, and this is done by a Ken Palm rankings. Three top 50 games, that's when he adds uh, Texas because he took the higher ranked team of the poss- of who you're going to possibly play in a tournament. And uh, Duke plays Cal, Cal Stinks, in the first round of uh, the 2K Classic, and then they'll play the winner of Texas and Georgetown. I don't know, it's early, who knows? I kind of like Georgetown. I think they might beat Texas, although who knows. But if, if Duke does play Georgetown, Georgetown is actually ranked 56. So they wouldn't even get a point for that. But either way, they play uh, three neutral site games. That's 2K, all at Madison Square Garden. They play three sub-200 teams. So basically, total, they had nine points. So they were in a five-way tie for number 40 for their non-conference schedule. Again, out of 92 teams. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the same as in the past years when, I mean, again, it's a two-day tournament they're playing. The teams aren't near what they were in Maui. They're not playing that extra non-conference game that they would play against Texas Tech. or um, I'm not sure who they played like the year before. There's always that. Sometimes they play like a coaches versus cancer um, game. Just uh, And they don't have the home-and-home where they would play like St. John's and in the past, Temple, all that. So they did give up a lot. And I guess when the the ACC is up to its usual par, I can see the kind of give and take because you have two more ACC games. Yeah, um, you want to have a little bit of an easier time. But this year, it is interesting to see the schedule not be quite as as grueling non-conference. But then with a team like that Duke has right now, it's not a it's not a bad thing. So right. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Um I will if if no if people didn't hear, I w- I will um just repeat real quick that I think it would have been great for Duke to play a uh a scrimmage as they call it, like not so secret scrimmage that most teams are doing these days. Uh, only 34 teams out of 353 did not play a preseason scrimmage. And Duke was one of 18 teams, only 18 out of 353, who didn't scrimmage this year and didn't scrimmage last year. I know Kay loves to play that uh, the Division II champion. I think they could have very easily played Northwest Missouri State in the second game, the second exhibition game, and scrimmaged the first game. I don't think it's too hard. 
I did I did ask CJ Moore the same thing. Or I talked to him. When you look at uh, those who are not scrimmaging in 2019, 2018, the big name teams. I mean, you have Duke, FSU, Syracuse, Kansas, Butler, Kentucky, Arkansas, Memphis. Those are the big name teams out of the 18. And I mean, at least CJ who covers Kansas, and I mean, you look at like Kentucky, uh, Butler, and Duke. Those are schools that they really don't get much out of their football, money-wise. I'm talking about. It's not a big program. So, well, I I guess you could say it's worth the money. It's worth the not getting the money to prepare your team more with a uh, scrimmage against a top team. But at the same time, I guess I can understand. I mean, it really does. I think we both kind of agree that it really does come down to money. I mean, when you play another preseason, another exhibition game, you get money. I mean, that's the bottom line. So, well, I think it would be it would have been helpful, especially considering the the lineups and the matchups they faced against Northwest Missouri State. I don't think it really helped too much. I guess the competition did, but I think it would have been cool for them to play a scrimmage. But hey, money money is a uh, money's money. So yeah. Yep. All right. So, um, AC schedule. Um, I mean, as I mentioned, we did an ACC preview. The ACC. It's impossible to say. It's not bad, but it's, it's it's down from what it was in the past couple of years. I mean, when you don't have a uh, a first or second team All ACC player, no none of them. I mean, yeah, you can understand why it's down. There just there isn't uh, quite as many uh, top tier threatening teams. So yeah, I mean, I think it's going to put a little more pressure on Duke. I guess you could say to have a better record. Because the ACC is down, maybe it'll just allow them to have a better record. Either way, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not a. I, I think with this team, it's not a bad thing. And, I, and all right, let me let me pull up their schedule. Who? What are the AC teams? Don't they play like Virginia Tech first or something like that? I I don't have it up in front of me, real quick. Um, let me see here. I, I think Virginia, like Boston College and Virginia Tech, I believe, are the first two. All right, so they play. Uh, Virginia Tech, December 6th, they go to Blacksburg, which is, uh, we have, I'm sure a lot of people celebrated Halloween, um, went to haunted places, Blacksburg is haunted for Duke, but not this year, Virginia Tech has no one, so, uh, how are they ranked 54th in Ken Palm, oh my god, anyway, um, yeah, so they go to Blacksburg, December 6th, Boston College, so those two teams are not exactly loaded with talent, so... Yeah, again, I mean, you have uh, you have you have Kansas and you have Michigan State. Besides that, it's pretty much it's it's not it's not a, a brutal non-conference schedule. I mean, as I said, you play the winner of uh, Texas and Georgetown, and then there's at least according to Ken Palm, there is the highest ranked other team is Wofford at 121. There's nobody else even in the top 150, so. At, I think it, you would hope Duke wouldn't be worse than a two-loss team heading into the new calendar year. And last season, I, I looked ahead in the schedule, and I said the season started when they played uh, Florida State. That even, I said that like mid-November, I called that. I said, all this is fun, good times, enjoy, and kind of project from this. But the season really starts Florida State. And, man, I, I mean, I was right about that. That Florida State game really... Everything revved up from that point. 
I'm looking ahead. Louisville, January 18th. That's when we are going to find out a lot about this team. And that's it's a lot of games that have already gone by at that point. But I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think they can really start developing some consistent rotations. Everyone get a little more comfortable in their, in their roles. I think there'll still be a lot of kinks to work out. But I think that Louisville game, Saturday, January 18th, that is that, is that Cameron, that is when we will really find out who this Duke team is, or at least get a, a much better idea of uh, who they'll be. So is there, any, is there anything when you're looking at the schedule? I mean, again, with the non-conference, it's really only two big matchups and then Texas and Georgetown. There's really, I mean, there's not even like other mid-major teams. I mean, Wofford was good last year. They were really good last year. This year, eh. No, nothing, nothing crazy. I mean, you mentioned we went over the ACC and stuff a little more in depth the last, uh, last uh, previous pod, but you know, I, I think, I think the schedule is a blessing right now based on where our roster is as a whole. So I think it'll give us the ability again. Still have to win, still have to play well, still have to beat teams. Bottom line. So I think it gives us an opportunity to figure out our kinks and our roster. You know, if, this, if we had this schedule going in, like, for last year, with the roster we had last year, it almost would have been comical to watch these games. But we're going to get a better idea of who these players are maybe uh, once we kick in, you know, the huge games in the ACC tilt and stuff. I mean, obviously, Kansas and Michigan State are good benchmarks because those arguably could be the two best teams in the country. Again, obviously, you can argue it either way. But I think it'll give us a chance to figure some things out and, and hit the ACC you know, running a little bit. All right. Um, here's something interesting. Um, I think many love to just play the result, which is understandable in terms of uh, close games. And I think the past two years, it's been very interesting. All right. In 2018, after they beat Florida in non-conference, Duke lost to BC by five and later to NC State by 11. But then they lost the next five games decided by five or less points. They broke the streak by beating Q's in the Sweet 16, then lost um, to by, by four, then lost to Kansas by four in the Elite Eight. Then the next season, in games decided by four or less, starts off by losing to Gonzaga by two. I actually, I ended up recording a podcast with Ray Holloman on December 30th, telling him, Ray, Duke's last seven losses have all been by five or less points. Well, they've only won one, one game by five or less in that time. What's the key to them winning close games? So <laughs> pretty soon after that, Cam hits the shot to beat FSU by two. They do lose at home um, by four to cues the following game. Then, all right, after that, in games decide, <laughs> this is amazing to still look at this. They beat UVA by two, Louisville by two, Wake by one, UNC by one, UCF by one, Virginia Tech by two, then lose to Michigan State by one. Those are the games, I mean, to have to not just win as many games in a row as they did, but to have that many games decided by one or two is insane. Yeah. So I know everyone's going to say, oh, well, Duke closed well. They actually didn't. They, no. they, they missed out a hell of a lot of free throws. They just got, you're leaving it up to chance when it's that, not leaving it up. But it, that's just how things can go when 
it it could swing either way. So I mean that 2018 team, it's not like they were a worse closing team just because they lost all the close games. Then last year they won all the close games, and I think everyone was like so shocked that they lost to Michigan State. And you can't keep getting away like by the skin of your teeth. So I just thought that was a very interesting thing because we play the results so many times that Duke's been on the complete opposite end of the spectrum from what they were in 2018 to what they were in 2019. Well, I don't think they did anything more or less to deserve the results that happened. The three-point line, if you haven't heard, is moved to 22 feet, one and three-fourths inches. It was 20 feet, nine inches. So now it's the international distance. It's the first time it's moved back since I didn't even realize this. Uh, it was 19 feet, nine inches prior to the 2008-2009 season. So uh, do you think it's going to have uh, – what type of effect, if any, do you think it's going to have? It depends. I mean, shoot, most shooters shoot from well beyond the three to begin with. So, I mean, some guys it may make a difference, may may change your percentages a bit, but I think overall it's not not a huge difference in terms of of shot-making ability. So, Yeah, I mean, I think uh, C.J. Moore, he actually did do a big uh, deep dive article – um, kind of seeing when um, it changed in other, I think like international different times, and the percentage goes down a little bit. I'm more interested, yeah, as you said, like shooters are going to shoot, especially Buckmeyer, but I think the spacing could help a lot. I mean, with everyone's, college fans are so ready with the excuse of they don't run all the pick and rolls because of the spacing, because like blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, like, there's there's amazing creative plays that all these coaches across the country are running. You can do it. So now with more spacing, there's no excuse. Run, pick, and roll. Run, pick, and pop. I mean, to imagine all the fun stuff they could have done with Bagley and Carter, it's tough. I mean, even like Zion, his first preseason game, they they they, they, they uh, rolled him off a screen. He um, it was just it it, it, it like. It just made me happy to see him like using a real offense. And again, I don't. It's not like ripping K because if if you're if the offense is working, I mean the results are the results. And if they're great results, great. But I think I think it's important to be ready to change if necessary. And I think this team, hopefully, he's ready to change on the fly, game to game and within game, and just keep it fluid. Um. Watching, uh, or not watching, but just knowing Yudoka Azabuki, who uh, he missed his freshman and junior season. It, it ended, both ended around the turn of the calendar year because of, it's just so random, torn ligaments in each wrist, different wrist each time. And it is a solid reminder of the fact that while uh, many bitch about how uh, Duke always gets injured, blah, 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 I even joke about how no player is officially a Duke player until they wear a boot. It's still true that although I could be forgetting someone, and let, let me know, I didn't really do too big a deep dive into this. I think Ryan Kelly, 2012 Ryan Kelly, and 2016 Emil Jefferson, along with 2008 Nate James, those are the only players, at least, that I can remember during the K era to suffer season ending injuries. And that's, if not lucky, just really extremely fortunate. Is there, is there any that I forgot? No, not that I could think of. Yeah, I mean, two players. That's it. So, I mean, 
And you just think of someone like Azabuki. I mean, he's missed two out of his three years. It's kind of nuts. I guess just because it's going to be such... It's always a thing. Do you think... I mean, refs are going... Everyone's going to bitch all the, nonstop about refs every single game. The refs are against your team. Whoever you root for, the refs hate that team. They're biased against that team. They're getting paid to uh, make every call against your team. Is there any job that takes more verbal abuse from strangers who literally have no personal relationship with them? No, God, like, no. Like, no. I mean, I mean te- the, teachers get a verbal beating every now and then, but we're, we at least know those kids. So Not from like thousands and thousands right. and thousands <laughs> of people. At the moment. I mean, look, I My kids I actually, don't tweet at me because they got a bad grade. <laughs> So. I, I mean, I, I know I've talked to uh, people who know exactly how much they get paid. The money's pretty good, but right. it's very simple to me. You're wired one way or another. You can either block it all out as a ref or not. Let it affect I you. I mean, right. I try and, and really have no difficulty finding the gray area in most everything. There's no gray area here. If you – if there's a gray area – if you're a ref and there's a gray area to whether you can block it out, it means you can't. It means you cannot block it out. You either can and, or can't. Yeah, and there's no way you can ref because mentally that will dist- – I'm sorry. Okay, me, I wouldn't be able to take that. Like that many people screaming how much they hate me. No matter what I, no matter what game I'm at, no, ma- no matter what types of teams, every, like people will hate me every, like throughout the game. And I just like – it's crazy to me. I like refs, umpires, all that, and I know some of them are are what they are. But I mean, that's it's a, it's an it's one of the most interesting jobs in the world. I'll say that. All right, um, two more two more things. Um, I actually heard this uh, on Reddit. This really has nothing to do with anything. I just this is just entertains me. Um, they were talking about the dumbest sports rules for me. Um, it's when it varies in the same sport at different levels or leagues. Uh, so here, here's my uh, couple college football, a player being down without being touched makes no sense to me. Like, why don't, why don't you have to touch? Like, what's the point of that? Is it like, if, if somebody says it's to keep them safe, like, get out of here. Like, like, no, you're not down if you're not touched. Um, even, I mean, it's even a flag football, you're not, whatever. Um, all right. MLB DH. That's never, I mean, that's never made sense. Like how do two leagues have different rules? Like what other sport does that exist in? Um, this I actually don't know. I don't know if they do one at one and one free throws at any level, but, uh, college basketball, do you know if they do like international, do they do that? I don't know. I don't think they do. I, the only other, yeah, I don't think they do. I mean, obviously in the NBA, they don't, I mean, I think those guys live at the free throw line shooting too. That's why those games are so long, but yeah, I don't think anybody else does the one on one. I actually don't mind it, but I, I, but I, I don't really understand the point of it, but I guess it does kind of make it more exciting. Um, also, the jump ball, which uh, jump ball compared to change of possession. Um, the thing that I don't understand, like college basketball, it's the only level of basketball at any level, any gender, any level, uh, high school, international, anything. They have halves instead of quarters. And it's stupid. Change it to quarters. Like I, college basketball fans are so like, I guess like they're just so used to it that it's really tough to actually find people who are like, oh, sure, change it. I mean, I think we're used to it, so it's like, don't change it. It works. But it's literally the only level. Like, I don't understand it, but I would change it, but I understand it's probably not going to happen. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind the halves yeah. because I'm just so accustomed and used to it. But I think if they go to quarters, it's I mean, either way. I mean, I, I, I don't mind it either way. I just when I'm in inside watching a Duke game, like it doesn't. I don't even know what time it is half the time. Anyways, I'm so locked in to what's going on in the game. It could be periods, and it wouldn't matter to me as long as as long as Duke has more points at the end. Okay, so. Last subject, then we'll make whatever predictions you want to feel comfortable with. I, I, don't, I don't know. That's, that's up to you in terms of how you want to do that. All right, so here's something just – I do this every year, and I know I'm going to forget some, but these are – if you're offended by this, you should be. Not, not you specifically, Joe. Fan cliches. These are the fun, fun stuff, which are just ridiculous and stupid and everything. All right, so I'm going to go down some of them. Just the the most obvious and annoying fan cliches. Stop sleeping on us. It's us against the world. Haters gonna hate, or any form of hater. No love for. Disrespect. No one believes in us. Underrated. Then Duke specific. Duke goes as the point guard goes. The Duke hangover. Small sample size, which lacks context most of the time, plus minus, because people don't care about anything but, but points and don't understand there's things to make to generate points, but basically, yeah, small sample size, stats, lacking context. I mean, I, I've seen people, like, put up all the lineups for one game, for, showing plus minus, and it's like, dude, like, it needs, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, all right, the worst player blank is selfish, no heart, doesn't play the Duke way, doesn't deserve to wear a Duke jersey, plays for the name on the back, not the front, heart, will, Wanted it more. Fire in the eyes. Classy slash humble. Play the Duke way. The brotherhood. Duke gets all the calls slash flop. Duke white guys. More talented teams should win. Nothing else matters. And my all-time favorite, the transitive property. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, we. I think we've mentioned that in the past, so just go ahead and enlighten. Um, If teams have uh, – if Duke beats Kansas – then they could beat someone else, yeah. Then they will beat every team that Kansas mm-hmm. beat. Yeah. Because it's a transitive property. It, like, it's just, it's proof. It's yeah. it's math. It, you can't deny math. It's facts. So every team, if Duke, if Duke beats Kansas, then they will beat every team that Kansas plays for the rest of the year. It's, that's how it is. That's, I mean, that may sound extreme because it is extreme and it's stupid. And that's literally the way people do it. It's, it's amazing. All right, so there's so there's my thing. Is is there any is there any else? I'm sure this will anger a lot of people because that's what the generally it's not it's not made to like dump on anyone. I'm sure most people use a lot of these. I find it funny just the the, the way people. It's just it's so natural. I mean, I guess the one I forgot that's is uh, fans gonna fans. Like it's just fans being fans because that basically covers all of this. Pretty much. I think the only one that, that I didn't hear, and you may have mentioned it, and I apologize, but is the is the looking ahead game. Oh, you know, Duke's playing Carolina next week. Um, but, oh, they lost game? to, yeah, like a trap because they lost to Boston yeah. College. Like, no, they lost to Boston College because they didn't play good and Boston College beat them. It's not because they're playing Carolina next week. You know, how like. Oh, how about, okay, see, that's. I mean, yeah, I, I know. I do. I do do agree. I guess that's not really fan cliche as much as just overall sports cliche. Right. How, how do you feel about uh, locker locker room? Like, um, if somebody says like, 
we're going to beat this team. And the other team's like, we're going to put that up in the locker room. <laughs> Get out like, no. Are you kidding me? Like Bulletin you... board material? No, there's no bulletin. I mean, you should want to beat every team regardless because they said they're going to beat you. I mean, what are they supposed to say? Yeah, I don't think we're going to do too I well. I know you should, week. but we, we, if, if that team does beat them, would you give – would you give any credit to a piece of paper being put in the locker room um, to use as motivation? I mean, I don't think that piece of paper made me hit a shot in a big situation any more than any other time. So, The only piece of paper I care about is when uh, when Buckmeyer took out a piece of paper at Countdown to Craziness saying, Happy Birthday, Dad. And I don't know, man. It felt like cutting onions in my place. That's that's all I can say about allergies. that. I mean, it was allergies. Oh, oh Michael Buckmeyer. Oh, Michael Buckmeyer, my favorite walk-on. He was terrible in the uh, blue-white scrimmage. I'm very disappointed. It's It almost got to the point of when they played in Canada, he got a couple minutes. I think he airballed a shot, and I, I said Duke should leave him in Canada. That was, that was a little over the top, and I will take this moment to apologize. Anyway, all right, so uh, I don't even have anything written down for predictions. Like, so how many games do they play? I mean, do you want to actually predict records or um, just in terms of how far they might go in the NCAA tournament? Will they, I'll, I'll say right now, Duke will make the NCAA tournament. I think Duke is. I think Duke will not have to sweat out Selection Sunday. I think they'll. Um, are they going to be playing in Dayton? What, what do they call that? The first four. Yeah, if they're playing the play-in games, I, I, I think it's going to be a long year for me physically. So, All right, so uh, how many games does Duke lose non-conference? One, two, or three? I think they lose two. I think they lose to Kansas. I think they lose to Michigan State. Michigan State on the road is rough. I think Kansas is going to uh, be a brutal game to watch. <laughs> I don't think I can handle it already. My, it's going to be a rough week for me. So if you might have to check in with me, like text wise, to make sure that I'm physically doing okay because I'm a Ravens fan. We play the Patriots tomorrow night, and then I watch Duke Kansas on Tuesday. So for the next 72 hours, I, I may or may not be approachable. Yeah, and I think I, that could have been taken different ways when I said brutal. I present it in a way that is not as. Uh, entertaining as, as you probably wanted it to take i think it's gonna be ugly <laughs> like no really, it really. might be yeah, yeah 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 i mean i just think i think i mean kansas i mean mccormick he has a very basic jumper we'll see because if he's not able to hit a jumper i mean as good as bagley and carter were it was still hard to space that team on offense kansas has no spacing like, if McCormick can't hit a, a jumper, it's literally two monster bigs together at once, and I don't know what's going to happen. It's actually kind of funny because uh, DeSouza, he played against Duke. Then they lost to Villanova the next game, and he was uh, suspended by the NCAA all last year. So this will actually be his second game against Duke in three games. I wonder and, I wonder if Duke maybe throws a little zone out there considering that too, you know, maybe to try to neutralize some of the size in the paint. Who knows? It'll be interesting to see how, how we approach it. So you, you would zone two bigs? I mean, I would zone them. If they don't have perimeter shooting, it may help have guys down in the paint helping. I mean, they're, they're going to struggle, I think, rebounding regardless, whether they're in a, in, a, in a zone or not. So I guess the matter of is maybe throwing a couple different defenses their way and seeing if they struggle with any of them. So 
Well, and there's I, I talk plenty about Kansas. Uh, everyone should check out um, the podcast with CJ Moore. All right, so I, I would I would agree two losses um, from the non-conference. Um, Twenty game ACC schedule. Uh, real quick, let's see who do they play twice again. Um, I know we talked about this when we did one pod with the ACC. Uh, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Miami, Wake Forest. At North Carolina. Yeah. I know they play at Virginia. They play at Q Salon, just one single game. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, they actually finish up with um, three teams that are expected to – well, two definite. NC State's always kind of up in the air no matter how guaranteed they seem. But, yeah, Duke finishes with uh, at Virginia, home against State, and home against North Carolina. So that's a a tough finish. In terms of uh, Saturday to Monday games, that's ooh, uh, February 8th and 10th. They have at North Carolina, home against Florida State. That's actually, I, I love that. The, the best is when you have a road game at a school, um, one of the uh, called the Triangle Schools. Yeah, the Tobacco so, I mean, Road That's area. like that Tobacco Road from North Carolina. So obviously then you play Florida State, so it's not even like a real uh, away than home because I, I mean I'm sure everyone remembers last year when Florida State to Syracuse short rest then Cam couldn't play then Trey gets injured then it all went to hell and then Jack White missed a 75 three pointers in that game. <laughs> what, 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 you, you want to predict an ACC record? So we play is it 20 or 20? It's 20 right? Is it we play yeah. in the ACC this year? Yeah, tw- 20 um, ACC 10 non conference. Yeah. So over, are we going overall? Because if it's overall, I believe we'll finish. Um, I think Duke's going to lose five in the ACC. Fifteen and five. So it would be an overall what? Twenty-three and seven going in ACC play, tournament play. Yep. I think they lose at Virginia. I think they lose at North Carolina. I'm giving way too much thought to this because honestly, who cares? <laughs> um. I mean, usually I just usually I just make the same prediction every year for the NCAA tournament, which is Sweet 16. That way, it's just like kind of in the middle. That's um, where I was going with it. Yeah, I mean, it's just I, I don't care. I mean, there's who knows? Who knows at this? It's point? all about matchups and stuff too, and who stays healthy, who doesn't. I mean, there's a ton of context that can go into it. So. Yeah, I mean, it looked like I mean Duke was Duke was gonna do great. They won the AC tournament, and then I mean, right away after the first round. Even the first round was a lot trickier than the thought. And then, and then you almost should have lost to UCF, almost should have lost to Virginia Tech, did lose to Michigan State. So, ouch. I, I will I will always push back against what you said about they were not the most talented team. I mean, you are obviously entitled to think that. I, I, I mean, there's just so much. There, the weaknesses were blatant. Um, but who knows? I mean, that was last year. This is this year. Um, yeah, I will say, uh, 13 and seven in the ACC. That's going to be a brutal year, man. <laughs> 14, 14 and six, 14 and six. Keep going. No, I'm just kidding. I, I need it. <laughs> I just nine losses, eight losses. I just don't, I don't like any of those numbers at all. It's rough, but I could see it. I mean, if all that matters is the uh, 
the uh, NCAA tournament, a lot of those teams from 86 to, what was it, 2004, they made, uh, I believe it was 10 Final Fours out of 18 NCAA tournaments, which is nuts, absolutely nuts. A lot of those teams had around that type of, uh, those types of uh, losses in a season. And then after that, they had a lot of regular seasons with very few losses, but didn't work out. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you you just never know how it's going to go. I mean, you look at Virginia. I mean, with that crazy shot by um, Diakite, um, just to basically extend the game against Purdue. Like, what the hell? I mean, Michigan made the final the year before because Jordan Poole hit some crazy shot. Yeah, they were run out in the first round. Yeah, it's just... I mean, the arguably the greatest Duke team of all time had to rely on the greatest basketball shot of all time or they would have been done. Stuff happens. I, I, I assume you... Know what I'm talking about? Chris Yeah, no, the pass like, Wait a minute. might have might have been better than the shot itself. The pass was ridiculous. Still, so couldn't have been any better. Yeah, but, actually, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the story yeah. where they they only tried that once in practice. No, they actually used it in a game, and it like curveballed out of bounds. <laughs> he threw a cutter instead of the fastball to him. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, good thing it worked, and um, yeah, you never know how it's going to go, but I will. I will always push back against the final result is all that matters. But I am also not a person who says everyone gets a ribbon. I, I really embrace the huge area in between. There is a big gray area of, yeah, I definitely want them to win. I, I expect them to win a lot of games, want them to win others. But I think it's just, I don't know. I, I, I find during the year analyzing all the games, analyzing all the players, while still enjoying the games as is, it doesn't take away any enjoyment from me. So I'm really excited. I think it's going to be fun, especially with, I mean, there's less exciting non-conference games. So this Kansas one takes on extra kind of impact. And uh, wait, I guess we should, um, yeah, I'll predict a uh, Sweet 16 loss. Um, what are you predicting for NCAA that, tournament? That's where I was going for second weekend. It is the easiest cop-out possible. Thanks so much for listening to part one of the 2019-2020 Duke basketball season preview brought to you by the Duke Basketball Corner podcast. Keep in mind, part two is a roster breakdown. Just giving thoughts on every single player with a couple player predictions at the end. There's also, while not officially, another uh, part three of the season preview. It can kind of be lumped into that category in a way because I talked to uh, beat reporters. I talked to a beat reporter from the for North Carolina, and I talked to a beat reporter for Kansas. North Carolina, just to get a little intel behind enemy lines for the heels this season overall. And Kansas, obviously, Duke is playing them. Champions Classic Tuesday to open the season, so I wanted to get some thoughts there. So don't forget to check out both Part 2, the roster breakdown, and uh, the beat reporter kind of behind enemy lines to uh, get all the info possible. Thanks so much for listening. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Please do so if you enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Adam Comero, and I will be talking to you soon.